We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONIEHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONIEHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 58. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of Ice Cap Asset Management in his sexy black shirt, and Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Hello. Rich, what's, what's shaking? Not much. Um, I'm, I'm working on <laughs> improving my home. Uh, last week, you made fun of me for not having any furniture, so I went out and bought a desk. But I was interrupted <laughs> from building it because of you guys. So that's all that's going on. I mean, there's lots of stuff going, good stuff going on in the market, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Any Look good sales there? All these uh, stores are overloaded oh, man. inventory. For sure. You're starting to see it all kinds. Um, there's lots of good sales. Um, the clothing stuff, furniture is definitely getting marked down. I mean, listen, people, um, people spent a lot of money the last two years buying crap they don't need. So it's, it's about time we get a little discount here and there. You're, so you're I'm telling here, me I got I'm a Peloton to... bike to sell if anyone wants it. <laughs> Keith, what's going on? Well, I'm tr you know, sort of reminiscing about the days of the shutdowns when it, when it was socially acceptable to cut your own hair. I'm at that point now. So um We'll see you this week. Do I do it myself or do I go? I need a haircut. You I should get one bad. of those bowl cuts for the event coming up here in two weeks. I already have a bowl cut. This is just it's growing out of it. Maybe that can Doesn't... be actually part of the event is the uh, we'll do a Keith Dicker live haircut on stage. You know, down in Bermuda for uh, we used to call it St. Baldrick's Day. So for St. Patrick's Day um, at one of the one of the pubs down there. Uh, you know, it was a big fundraiser. So you line up and get your head completely shaved off, you know, and everyone throwing money into the hat for it. But uh, th those were good times as well. At the Robin Hood, if you know Bermuda, it was at the Robin Hood pub. You know what I'm talking about. Never been. There well, she was. We aren't all well-traveled like you. But um, let's uh, let's dive into this week's show. We'll, we'll kind of open it all up with the uh, the Canadian side of things as always you know fair fair amount to talk about I think the we will, we'll get into it but obviously the FTX crypto story continues to evolve um, I think the the facts there are are mind-boggling so we'll kind of get into that some inflation numbers etc um, but yeah I think we'll start this one off here with the Canadian real estate data looking at it from a national basis so we every you know 
for those keeping score at home, every 15th of every month, you get the release of the national housing statistics. Uh, so it was always kind of a good barometer, but we were looking at it. Uh, so national house prices fell another 1.2% month over month in October. Um, so your home price index, which adjusts for sort of volatility and hedonically adjusts for property types, that home price index is down 15% since peaking earlier this year. So that's the sharpest decline since the index was created in 2005. I feel like I keep saying that every month now because um, we keep setting sort of a new record drop. Um, again, just for context, the last peak to trough decline that we saw was 9%, and that was an 08-09 national house price decline, 9%. So as of right now, we are down 15% from the peak. Um, that equates to $132,900 since peaking in March. So that's what your typical home in Canada has lost. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, it's kind of status quo. I mean, the market's still still slow. Rates are still punitively high. Um, you know, the one thing to sort of put into context here is there was just 3.8 months of inventory on a national basis. So it's still, still pretty, still pretty low. Uh, you know, your long-term average is usually around five. So we're still looking at low inventory levels, but, uh, despite that house prices are, have been trekking lower. Um, so that's, that's pretty much all I got on the national housing front. Steve, what about condo inventories? What, what are they looking like? Good question. Same thing. It's all across. I mean, I think like what happens is, at least in Vancouver and Toronto, anyways, is that the, the, the markets are actually somewhat predictable, which is, you know, the detached housing market, single family always tends to lead the market. So it'll lead the market on the way up. And then the condos always are lagging behind. And so right now we've seen the bulk of the corrections are actually happening in detached housing product. And I think the condo market is probably going to see more of a correction in 2023. So if you've got a condo, think about buying, selling, whatever, I think there's more downside in the condo market than there is in the detached segment in the new year. And wouldn't and that be the market where, oh, sorry. where, yeah, where uh, people levered up, you know, where they would have bought one or two, like for investment properties as opposed yeah. to a, a home? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, you typically see most investors like, because you can't cash flow. People like, it's funny, right? Because like, I get a lot of like commentary online and stuff. They go, oh, these damn investors, they're ruining the housing market. So, well, like, no investor buys like a single family house for $1.8 million and renting it out for five grand. Like, the numbers don't work. What investors tend to do is they tend to buy condos. They might lever up their house, tap some equity, and then go and buy a single family or, or, or one bedroom condo, pre sale condo. Um, so that is where most of your investors are playing. And rental yields? You want the like, cap rate kind of thing? No, I'm just, I'm just curious about like our rents going, are the rents continuing to go up? We're going to talk about inflation in a minute and there's some in rental data in there, but I'm just curious sort of from your perspective, are rents going up? Everywhere I look, everyone I talk to, rents have peaked. Um, I would not necessarily say that they're going down but they've clearly set a peak in basically every major market, Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, the three markets I pay close attention to, they've all peaked. Um, so I don't know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into the CPI data that will probably show up in uh, you know six months from now. It's actually Couple already peaking. We're going to get to that in a second. Um, but the, just sorry, just a little uh, digression, the, the CPI rental 
the index that tracks um, rent in the CPI basket has actually already peaked as well. Oh, it has already. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll Interesting. see. Anyway, sorry, keep going. Um, yeah, a couple other things, I guess. Just the, um, it was an interesting announcement. Like you were starting to see, I think we chatted about it last week, right? You're starting to see like these like anecdotal things that are adding up to like stress in the housing market, right? So we had like last week, we, ch- we chatted about Romspin, which is like the $3 billion uh, mortgage investment corp in Canada, gating funds, you know, one of the largest uh, NICs in the country. Uh, this week we had big uh, layoffs announced at Properly. So Properly was a Canadian real estate startup. They were trying to disrupt the traditional brokerage model. So here's what they would do. Pretty interesting model. I actually chatted with them. Really nice people. So it's always like sort of sad to, you know, see people getting laid off. And um, like I said, I think the company is well-intentioned, but I remember like chatting with them and I was like, this just, this is not going to work. This is predicated on a bull market. Uh, again, hey, maybe they figure it out. Kudos to them. But basically what they would do is we, okay, so let's say you're, you own a home and you want to go and upsize. So what you typically need to do, right, is like you need to go sell your house first, figure out what you're working with, use that cash, go buy a new house. But like, there's always this awkward sort of middle part where like, well, you're probably like, where do you, you're almost having to go and rent for several months while you make a transition to a new home. Cause getting the completion and possession dates to line up perfectly is really, really hard to do. And so what properly was doing, and especially, and so this is where people got really caught offside, right? The market in Vancouver, Toronto, most of Canada was so hot it was so hard to buy a home because every home had like eight, nine, 10 offers on it. Right. So imagine if you had like sold your home already, I had clients where it took them like six or seven, eight months to get a house. Cause they would lose out on five properties before they finally secured a, an offer and a bid on a house. So what properly was doing was they were saying, listen, you go, go, you go out, you've got a home, you go and buy first, go buy your home first properly. will give you, a bid on your house. So they'll say, we will give you a contract that says we'll buy your house for $1 million. And then you can use that to go to the bank and say, Hey, listen, I've already sold my house. Here's an offer from properly. And so what basically what properly was doing is that they were selling it for like a couple percent or whatever, a little bit below market value. And so the idea was that properly would then go and try to sell your house. And if they got you a higher price, that was great everybody gets paid to move on, but property would then, but if they couldn't get you a bid, they probably would basically go ahead and purchase your house. And so the concern now is, well, you're in a down market. Are these guys stuck with a bunch of houses? I would so they were selling so. the wrong, they were selling the wrong side of that optionality. basically. Right. Because the market turned, I mean, it was a great business strategy. In a bull uh, market. In a bull market, but like, we all knew the bull market was going to end at some point. Anyway, so the long story short, um, those guys were kind of like heralded as kind of the the new up and coming thing in Canada. So um, yeah, that that that's in tough tough spot right now. Hey, Rich, don't don't you love linear thinking? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lateral thinker, Keith. <laughs> lateral. <laughs> me as well. Yeah, me too. I'm not trying to trash these guys. Like I said, I met them. I think they're nice people. I just well- I. The business strategy to me is just it. it is well, this this but sort of ties it, into something I wanted to bring into this. Rich, sit sit down for a few minutes, Rich. <laughs> the um, you know we we talked before about 
you know, we get, now we're set up to have these, you know, you know, pretty massive booms and, and bust and a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, in my complaint about the world is, is back in 08, 09, when everything went bust, uh, it's not popular to say this, but that they should have let banks go under who who should have went under and, and stuff like that. A lot of people say, no, no, they would have done this, this and that. But, you know, I saw a great, because my thinking and my belief is that there's always capital out there, private sector capital, that's enough, that's going to, is going to absolutely going to take an opportunity, take the risk, they deserve their return, and they deserve the loss as well, if, if it happens. Uh, but, you know, the world today, they've created this environment where you get all this linear thinking, you think either there is no risk, and even if you do think there's risk, you're thinking behind you, and maybe not for these guys, because they're not big enough, Steve, but, you know, someone's going to bail them out. But I, I saw an interesting article uh, this morning, um, so there's seven, it's just covering seven institutional investors around the world, and they have about 2.3 trillion in capital. They're ready to em employ or deploy, deploy. And uh, so think about it. There's these these guys out there, they've raised the capital, they're sitting on it. They know something's going to splat against the wall coming up. And it's not a bad thing. It's bad if you're the splat, if you get splat, of course, but that, that's the way capitalism works. You know, you have a P and L, you know, profit and loss behind it. And, um, you know, I, I do happen to think we're going to get a few more splatters coming up soon. And But there are people out there who are willing to then invest their own equity to get things going again. However, what I expect will happen if it is, you know, one of these systemically important institutions with, you know, political friends and, and brackets coded behind it, uh, you know, they will get bailed out. You know, and that's why we all pay for it in the end. But uh, think about it, 2.3 trillion is just waiting, waiting to come in. And they're re and these guys are smart guys, right? So they know there's there's something coming. It's the ice so which cap we talked fund. about. It's yeah, <laughs> we don't have 2.3 trillion. Um, but the uh, I think what I wanted to talk about as well, unless Rich, you want to jump into that. But I want next I want to go into the whole the anecdotal stories about you know this recession that's apparently coming, and then we have the headline data. And a lot of that, especially for Canada, is it's not suggesting, you know, the recession is coming. So, you know, we, we have some contradictions uh, I, taking place. That's a really good point. Because I feel like the anecdotes don't quite, like the data doesn't square with the anecdotes. And what's that quote from like Jeff Bezos? It's like, if the anecdotes trump the data, like the, the anecdotes are probably right. Well, the well, wait a second, wait a second. I mean, we still have Something to like talk about how my, inflation release. Um, but oh yeah, data, whoa, whoa, I'm we not talked done. about I'm it last week. The Canadian data, <laughs> Canadian data. We're both getting, we're all getting ahead of ourselves. The Canadian data was was deteriorating as we went over last week. Remember, um, I, I rattled off a bunch of stuff that was really not so good. Um, so I'm interested in hearing some of this any these anecdotes and to see if they square with that. But all right, you off over to you, Steve. Well, yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll wrap up my Canadian housing topic. I'm sick of this plus stuff here, um, but uh, yeah, the um, you know we're we're seeing so we're seeing a lot more um, now of the lenders. The lenders are now laying off uh, mortgage staff, which is interesting because you know what's crazy is there was a lot of local credit unions and whatnot um, here. I remember in Vancouver they were still adding they were adding mortgage staff in like April and May, the market was had so obviously peaked in February and was beginning to roll over and they were still adding 
bodies in, in April and May. So, uh, they were obviously, you know, not very insightful, I suppose, but anyways, we were now finally starting to see that there's just not enough volume to go around for all these bodies that they've been adding over the last couple of years. And so we're starting to see layoffs, um, in that space. So yeah, I, again, I think the anecdotes are just continuing to sort of add up with, uh, again, Romson, the private lender, these, some of these tech style real estate broke up brokerage startups, and then you're seeing the mortgage layoffs and obviously the, uh, construction pausing and, and stuff. So anyways, it's all, it's all adding up. And, and then you take that and you look at the home price index nationally down 15% and it makes sense. So that's all I got, Rich. I don't know if you want to ch- ch- jump in on the uh, inflation data because that's going to impact uh, where where this rate hike trajectory is going. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll just run it down as we normally do. Uh, I'll do it quickly because I think not much really has changed. Um, headline fell ever so slightly. I think sometimes when we see these headlines, we you know it was it came in as expected, six point nine. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, I, I, I screwed that up. Sorry, start over, start over. Headline inflation rose ever so slightly from 6.86 to 6.88. When we see the headlines, they often only do it to one decimal point. Uh, but um, as you can see on the press release, and as I wrote in my note um, today, if you just dig a little deeper, you can see actually um, the number actually rose slightly. Um, this ends a three-month consecutive decline. So, I mean, obviously I'm splitting hairs, but just, you know, to get, you know, kind of get the numbers right. Um, food, uh, I'm sorry, um, core, I, core, which is excluding items, just food and energy, um, that rose. Um, it, 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 sorry, it fell again. Damn it, I'm screwing up today. Apologies. So it fell tiny, tiny bit again to it's 5.28. Um, and so from 5.28 to 5.27, I'm uh, making a meal of this. <laughs> let's bring it home. And, uh, but the thing is, I like to look at the components as we've discussed many, many times here before there's goods, there's services. If you look at goods, inflation, that rose services, which is meant to be sticky and usually related to labor market, that's kind of rolling over. So that was uh, 8.4 for goods and 5.4 for services. I won't read all the, the, the read all the numbers, but um, there's a couple other points that I thought were interesting, which was the shelter component. We've talked a lot about this. Um, the shelter component rose again, so that rose up to seven, and it's forty percent of shell of the core CPI basket, and so it's again contributing a significant weight. And so this idea again that we're gonna pop right back down. I, I just for the you know for the fiftieth time on this podcast and in my writings and all my meetings with my clients, no, it's not transitory. It never was. The big contributors, were, I think, were energy um, and transportation. Um, you'll notice uh, if you're not familiar with this, but the crack spreads, we've discussed this before, which is sort of the margin that refiners get from crude oil and, and gasoline and other diesel and distillates um, that started to rise again, uh, despite Joe Biden's best efforts and using the uh, special strategic petroleum reserve to keep prices down uh, right before the November election. I'm laughing because it was just such a cynical kind of political ploy to, to keep ga- gasoline prices and diesel prices down right before a major election. Um, you're starting to see the crack spread sort of blow out again, even though crude prices are sorry, making three are down on, on the last three months. And so that in Canada, that impacted a lot. It was up 6.7% month on month, which is a significant amount. 
Um, you know, energy is a non-trivial amount of the, the CPI basket. I think it's like a 10 or 11%. But again, it's really the shelter component. Food, um, again, is just keeps rising. These are like the ta- takeaway, fast food from fast store, uh, from stores, um, table service restaurants. All these are like six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10%, which is just incredible. Um, and then finally, the one I always love to talk about is the three preferred measures of inflation, uh, which is the ones that capture for persistent price movements that eliminate transitory stuff and sector uh, fluctuations and, and that kind of thing. It was the exact measures that the Bank of Canada ignored when they were telling everybody that, um, that inflation was transitory and those ticked up higher, which to me is, is, is really the major takeaway from this month's release that the key non um, you know not the, the the key measures that eliminate those um, transitory effects or the the supply specific fluctuate fluctuations those rose after falling a couple months and those are at like five and five and a half and six and a quarter percent and and it just tells you that you know it actually reiterates the point that that Keith's made many times that they should have raised what by 75 basis points they should have not have chickened out there's still a significant amount of inflation. That's sort of this inflation breadth that we've talked about in the past. There's, it's, it's still happening. Um, and, and overall, we'll see what happens next. I, do I think inflation has peaked? Yeah. Do, else, do I think we'll retest those high? No, I don't think so. We've talked about why. There's you know, math element. There's the energy component, et cetera. But you know, the fact that we're going to head back down to 2% anytime soon, I don't think. I think it'll probably take at least another year or, or maybe even two. Um, and yeah, so there, there's the, there's the, the, the inflation release that we've got. Boom. We have, do we have crack spreads on our bingo card, by the way? <laughs> Is that on there? There will be. Bit, there will... <laughs> you're so mean. The crack spreads are an important part of the energy market. If you don't understand crack spreads, you don't understand energy. <laughs> I understand crack spreads. <laughs> Keith, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Oh dear. Keith's yucking it up over there. <laughs> yeah. Keith is just, you know, hanging out. Uh, let's see. So, you know, my, uh, you know, we had the, that's the Canadian data and maybe Rich can go through the American data as well afterwards with the PPI data that came out. Um, but so, you know, from, you know, our view, what's happening right now is that the, for the Canadian data, it's, it's still high, right? However, the expectation over the last number of months was always that the numbers were going to be higher than what was expected. So this is how we view it, you know, from a yeah. market perspective is, you know, they're no longer outperforming. It's sort of in line with, with what's been expected. So, you know, Canadian dollar sold off a little bit on, on the news. It didn't, you know, every other time it's been ramping up aggressively. And now for the first time since we, you've know, been on this interest rate journey, um, not Aerosmith journey. We have oh, interest rate expectations. They're all over the map here. So right now we're at three, three seventy-five, three three quarters. And um, so right now, like out to say June of next year, they're expecting another seventy-five basis points in in total. But it, it could be three twenty fives. It could be a fifty. Like we, we, the market doesn't really know what to expect right now, and the reason it doesn't know what to expect is because the Bank of Canada has been, you know, knocking everyone in in the head the last couple of meetings, and that 
what the market thought it was 1% priced in last time, they, they didn't do it. Um, they did that before at the beginning of, of this. But uh, so the next Bank of Canada meeting is on De so December the 7th, and that's a live meeting. So right now the, the market is expecting definitely 25, maybe they do 50. That, that's what the markets are, are suggesting. And I know we get closer to that day is going to be, oh, the market's not expecting 50. Like numbers going to be all over the map. So on that day, Canadian dollar is going to go crazy with whatever number comes out. The bond market will go a bit funny and wacky as well. Um, but right now, the market is saying we have no clue what the Bank of Canada is going to do on, on, on that side. It seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of falling. Keith, you, you've been posting some of it on Twitter there. To me, it seems the Canadian data, like economic data, is holding up a lot better than we would have anticipated. I, and I wonder how much of that, because like, you know, we're overlaying again with our anecdotal stories, um, that how much of that data is maybe lagging or about to come to fruition, or or maybe 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 the economy really is holding up better than every, anyone could have imagined. And that really paves the way for, you know, a higher terminal rate. I, I, I you know, my, my, my own opinions, but they're just my opinions. Um, I'm kind of curious your thoughts. So my, my thoughts are that the Bank of Canada, they, they, they see the same thing. They don't like it because the only way they're going to get inflation down is to literally crush the economy. Like we, we need a, a good negative sign, you know, in, in front of the economic data coming out or sub 50 if you live in richest diffusion world. And, uh, but right now though, it is like you say, see, like there's just anecdotal stories coming out. I mean, it, it's not bad. I was just, uh, it's kind of funny because I was chatting with two friends yesterday. One is on the the labor market side and in, in the, in the legal world. And um, you know, th this, this person was telling me, yeah, like there's, there's no visibility of this recession that's supposedly coming. And everyone in my world, we're all talking about it. And same in their world, everyone's waiting for this shoe to drop. And, you know, people are still wearing their shoes right now. Then I bumped into another guy yesterday. Um, I'll share his his firm with yourself afterwards, Steve. Uh, but he he's, he's involved in the commercial real estate sector. But what they do, they do analytics for that marketplace. So they're collecting data from commercial REIT owners. And I assume with that data, you know, you're able to do lots of wonderful things. And he said, yeah, they're getting ready for the, you know, the mother load of the recession that's coming. And I said, has it hit yet? He said, no, but we can see it. Like it's, it's, it's going to come. So we are getting closer and closer. And the reason this is important from an investment perspective is that it's what the Bank of Canada, that's what they expect to happen as well. But the longer we don't see it, it would imply that you know they will be even more aggressive still, you know, raising rates. So maybe you know the next meeting or D seven coming up, maybe they they actually do with fifty, and we sort of which ties in with the American story as well. But central banks right now they they want that recession coming, and if it doesn't come soon, you know they'll they're still going to raise rates, you know, despite whatever the inflation data is uh, showing. Unlike the Brits, who are, they're just saying outright we're we're going to collapse. The UK have I another think, high oh, inflation ahead, print, Rich? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I think it was like a forty-year high. I can't remember the exact number, but it was. So there, yeah, you guys are high. still. So you guys are still printing like new highs. Yep. So we're yeah. rolling over in North America. But... Well, I mean, 
Canada's, I mean, lucky in a, in a way because, I mean, it doesn't have the same wage growth that you have in the UK. It doesn't has a because of the incredible amount of population growth, which depresses labor market to some degree. Um, the UK, um, there's something called, I mean, we can get into the weeds if we want to, but there's something called like long-term sick. And I mean, whether or not you believe all these people who are now sick versus not, I mean, the, their wage growth is still pretty high. There's an energy component that's significant in can in the UK rather than, than versus Canada. It doesn't really have, I mean, even though Canada has had significant um, pressure on the energy front, it's still nowhere near as what we've seen in Europe and the UK. Um, you know, the, so there's, there's that kind of stuff, but on, on the Canada thing, I mean, there, there's loads of negative stuff. I think that the, the main one that we haven't seen, I think the one that we're, everyone's sort of waiting and I remind everybody that this indicator, which I'm about to get into is a lagging indicator is the labor market, whether or not you believe those labor market numbers from last month or not, the truth is there hasn't been a, you know, a wholesale decline in labor market sentiment or literally the number of people that are getting hired. Um, especially not in the US and to, I mean, um, and in Canada. And so I think that that's, that's, you know, that's the issue. Cause if you, if you look at like, whether it's, you know, um, the bank of Canada business surveys, those are way down. If you look at PMIs, we discussed this last week, I don't want to repeat it all completely, but we know there are the PMIs, there's the CFI business barometer that's making new lows. There's the composite leading indicators from the OECD. Those are making new lows, the IV, PMI, which is from Western, thank you, Keith, and not our and not from uh, from out west, from Western, which is in Ontario, um, which is making new lows again. I mean, indicator after indicator on the sentiment and business side is 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 really not doing well. And the one that's sort of holding up is, in fact, um, the labor market. And we'll see what happens. Um, so I'm interested to hear some of this anecdotal evidence um, to see if it corroborates what I'm seeing on sort of on the on the sentiment side and on the, on the indicator side. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not good. I mean, banks are tightening their lending standards. Mortgage growth is, is, is definitely coming off. Um, you know, consumer confidence is making new lows. There's something called the misery index, which is the combination of inflation and unemployment. It's something we've never talked about. I can't believe we, we've never talked about that, but that's making new highs. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> What's what's you know what I mean though is that in in Canada, we're not hearing the anecdotal. Oh, is that sorry. true? Not no, so so much. Him. But in America, you know, Amazon they just announced they're laying off. Uh, I think ten thousand. They're going to yeah. reduce by um, going into the busy holiday other... season, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and this the, is that's their... the real story. I mean, like you had because you had we talked about it last week, right? FedEx laying off. When the last time FedEx laid people off? you know, going into the busiest time of the year for them. And we, you know, we brought this up a few months back, you know, remember back then we said, uh, you know, the, the economic shock coming up is that it, retailers will have a lot of inventory in the fall because, you know, they were ramping up aggressively and that's exactly where we're going. You know, we always like to say, you know, we're, Hey, has anything changed with, with the path we're moving on to cause us to change our view and economically it, it hasn't. Uh, financial markets are still, you know, doing what they're doing, but I, you know, I think the anecdotal stories for America is it is still quite strong that you know we're going to roll over, and that's why when I jump back to the Fed, um, you know, so last week Thursday and Friday, it was the excluding what happened back in 08, 09, it was the single largest two-day movement in the U.S. dollar 
that, that's been recorded. So over you know a very quick two to three days, like Aussie dollar was up seven percent. Same with euro yen, like it, it just crushed everything. And you know a lot of it was because of positioning. You know everybody was so long the dollar and short everything else, but uh, it was all triggered by the the thought and the concept that uh, you know the economy is rolling over in the U.S. and the Fed won't have to hike rates anymore. And we keep telling everyone, you know, everyone who, who's listening that the Fed will continue to do this until there's a recession. And, you know, we haven't seen that yet to happen, but it's coming out. And as well, what people need to appreciate is like every day there's new, there's, there's a whole bunch of members of, of the Fed. Some are voting, some are non-voting. Uh, they have set schedules when they're speaking and not speaking and all that. But within the Fed, you have doves and, and hawks. And the doves are aligned with uh, Janet Yellen over in Treasury. And they're doing everything they can to prevent a recession from happening because they, they don't want a recession. Um, and whereas the hawks at the Fed are saying, no, we need a recession you know, to crush this inflation. So that's why you're always going to hear on, on a regular basis during the week. And depending on what your market view is, you're always going to hear a Fed member say something that you want to hear. So whether it's it's dovish, for example, like whether you want the market to the equity market to take off and recover and U.S. dollar come down hard, you're listening for the doves, and if it's the opposite view, you you'll hear that the next day. So here we are now here today on what day are we recording? Bingo Thursday. <laughs> Bingo Drink. Thursday. Yeah, uh, you know today's a pretty good risk off day. But a lot of that now is simply because, you know, markets have recalibrated again. Uh, some of the hawkish, you know, Fed guys have come out and been chatting. But, uh, you know, it continues to be our view that Powell, he wants to hike aggressively and even more aggressively than what people are talking. So opportunities like this, you know, I'd say, hey, it was a gift. You know, if you're... You know, if you made some money in equities last last you know couple of weeks, uh, it looks like it could roll off again. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't have enough U.S. dollars, hey, as a gift, you know, start buying again. But uh, these whipsaws towards year end are, you know, they're pretty spectacular. What's happening? And I, I think it was uh, Rich, you or see one of you made the the, the political comment um, how you know the American midterm elections are now over. And, um, you know, that's going to have a bit of an impact here as well. So uh, I do suspect you're going to start to see uh, less oil coming out of the uh, the strategic <laughs> petroleum reserves, SPR, I think they call it. Um, yeah, that's just start getting refilled again. Uh, less funny things from, from Yellen happening. But it, it could be a, a bit of a funny year end. Can I just add something? So, I mean... On the on the U.S. labor market front, I think it's important. You know, like the FedEx not um, firing people, and the Amazons, and Jeff Bezos coming out and telling people not to buy stuff and all. This. I think it's important to just. And then we might some see some retail sales data that comes out. It's not as good right before the Christmas period, which Steve, you rightly pointed out, is something that's weird. And I would just point out that there's like a goods versus services kind of dynamic that I think we need to just clarify and sort of um, provide context around. So when you look at retail sales, it's largely goods related. Um, nearly all of it is goods related. And I think that that's an important consideration when you're thinking about these labor market, um, sort of all these big layoffs, the companies that have been laying people off are goods related. 
And the reason I bring that up is because what we forget is, is actually services make up 61% or 60% of the personal consumption expenditure for the US household. And let's just assume for argument's sake, it's roughly the same for Canada and Europe and most developed nations. And so what does that mean? You know, so in, in real terms, you've got like nine trillion US dollars in, in 2012 dollars that are services and 5.5 trillion in goods. And what we saw over the pandemic, obviously, was it collapsed and then the goods portion ripped right back up and continued on a trend that was much higher than what we had before the 2017, 2018 numbers and 2019 numbers. And services, on the other hand, have only just gotten back to trend. And so when we think about what's going to happen over the next six months with the labor market, I'm less concerned about the Amazons and the FedExes of the world laying people off and weak, let's say, retail sales than I am with services companies starting to, re uh, to, to lay people off. And so that's something it's important to people understand, number one, this, the differences in magnitude between those two types of uh, expenditures for households and two, where the layoffs are coming, and then three, what to look out for going forward. So for example, what's a huge services, I don't know, I don't know, MGM hotels in let's say Las Vegas, they start, you know, um, cutting workers or maybe, um, yeah, another kind of, um, I don't know, I'm trying, I can't, I'm, services are escaping me. But I mean, because if you look at RevPARs, which is a way that you assess um, the so revenue per booking of a hotel, those are still relatively high. And, you know, if we're looking at um, whether it's um, travel, all that stuff is okay. And so it's important that we just dist distinguish sort of what's going on, what's happening right now, where we've come from, and then what we should be looking out for going forward with respect to the labor market. What about like, um, like restaurant data? Yeah. So that's, it's actually okay. It's still okay. Yeah. Cause I yeah. don't know. I, I, everybody it's like, yeah, I think yeah, people always, it's funny. Like you always see what you want to see. Right. right. It's like that confirmation bias. And I'm guilty of funny, that like, too, of course. I Obviously, I try not to, but I'm definitely guilty of that. I know. People always go, oh, I went into the mall and it was like so busy and like there's no recession. And then like, you then like you know, another guy like, oh, I walked down this busy street on a Friday night and all the restaurants were half empty, like recessions. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, it's always tough. You know, you kind of need, definitely need some of the data, but some of the data doesn't, doesn't always add up either. No, it doesn't. I mean, you know, something I really look, I mean, we talk about this before the ISM in indicator, you know, with the non-manufacturing, manufacturing. I mean, it's not all great, right? I mean, we know the new orders for the services have collapsed. We know that employment is below 50. I get it. And, and obviously the momentum, the tr direction of travel is absolutely clear. I, I guess now I'm trying to figure out when it might happen or what to look for to, you know, crystallize our view. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm saying we shouldn't necessarily over egg the goods part when services is 60% of your consumption basket. And that, that, that was really the major point. There you go. Wouldn't mind. Um, yeah. Switching, switching gears over to um, this uh, FTX story continues to, to evolve some uh, yeah. Great, crazy stuff there. I was reading uh, today that apparently he issued a $4 billion loan uh, a personal loan, three three billion of which went into his uh, hedge fund company, and a billion dollars to himself personally. So this guy was just backdooring all these funds. Um, of course, all this contagion. Once your second largest, you know, uh, crypto exchange goes insolvent, uh, they, they so BlockFi, uh, BlockFi went down. BlockFi was like a 
crypto wallet basically they would they would pay you interest on like your token so you'd go and you deposit bitcoin or ethereum or what have you and uh blockfi would pay you an interest on, on your deposits um so they were they were kind of regarded as more of like they were regarded a little bit more like blue chip like if you were going to go and take funds and put them into one of those um crypto sort of exchange wallets and and earn an interest like blockfi was kind kind of considered like like the blue chip so they're now insolvent uh so that they they kind of follow in celsius's footpath because celsius was kind of like the bigger more reckless of the two and so now they're both gone uh so it's pretty crazy you have like your two largest like crypto lender sort of things or or banks basically one of your largest exchange second largest exchange now gone um crazy fun story for you uh since keith keith's not into crypto here but um i mean my only point is i just we, we never talk about esg on this podcast for some reason i don't know how, how we've avoided we've done 58 odd episodes and we've never really had a dove into it i'm not a huge fan um you can ask me why offline sometime maybe it's not, i don't think it's a it's not for my views are not for polite conversation but i would like to highlight something that i just found really really funny which was that on there's different types of um scores that you can have for esg um that companies like i'm not going to give them a plug or throw them under the bus but let's just say that there was several companies that had leadership and governance scores for ftx that were significantly higher than some major blue chip companies and it was just i just thought it was really funny that it was just like a like not only was this guy committing an absolute and utter fraud which i think is set Bitcoin back several years, especially in the eyes of institutional investors, as Keith will attest to. But it's just an absolute, like, it's one thing to blame this kid. It's another thing to just absolve all of these people who are meant to be doing real due diligence on their investments. They, they just, they flaked it. They didn't do any of the work, clearly, they, that you should have done in order to hand all these guys incredible, incredible amounts of money. And I just think that's sort of being lost in all of this talk of Bitcoin and fraud. And it, you know, the, the reporters didn't do the work. The investors didn't do the work. The companies that judge ESG scores didn't do the work. And I think it's a testament to what we've talked about for a long time, which is what happens when you get free, cheap, easy money, tons of liquidity, you get all kinds of shenanigans. Um, and it's just, it just makes you laugh, I guess. I'm sorry for all the people who hardworking people lost millions and billions of dollars. That's really the, I'm kind of curious though, like what your, what your thoughts, Keith, maybe if you want to chime in here on like, I think there's definitely some smart people here that got duped. Um, but maybe it goes to show you that you can always, you know, you can appear maybe are known as the smartest person in the room, but even even you can make bad investments like what do you i mean like sequoia sequoia's got to have some really smart people there was it uh was it tiger i'm I'm drawing a blank tiger management like i mean there's got to be some smart there's got to be some smart people here that were, were ultimately again maybe yeah didn't do obviously the proper due diligence but i think there was an element of fraud i think there was some deception and and it, I don't know it's fascinating to see again like people that are are maybe lauded as very very smart people um 
have been caught up in this? Well, you have to, I mean, first of all, there, there's a huge distinction between making a, a, an investment that doesn't work and then being a victim of fraud. Because fraud, by definition, you know, it, it's been, something's been constructed in a way to deceive you and, and everyone else out there. And that that's clearly what, what's happening in, in this case. So, um, you know, so, you know, eventually most fraud does get exposed when people, you know, they, you know, I, I'm, I'm empathetic towards people that lost money with it because, you know, they got exposed exposed to a fraud, you know, they, they got tripped really. Uh, but if you make an investment and it turns out to be a bad investment, hindsight is always pretty good with that. You know, why did you buy this or, or that? But again, what I'm trying to say here is that people lost money uh, because of this. Um, it's, it's not that they made a stupid decision. You know, all these smart people that were buying it, they were basing on information that they thought was, was real and, and accurate. Uh, but the other thing, you know, for, you know, everyone making investments out there, you're going to make bad investments. Like no one ever, it's like playing baseball. You're going to strike out sometimes, right? It, it, it's going to happen. Uh, but that's why you make sure you control your risk. You know, you, you layer your risk in, you only expose with what you're comfortable to having exposed with. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I think everyone knows I'm not a crypto guy. I don't understand, you know, I understand very little of it. Um, and, you know, however, we got, you know, maybe we got lucky on this because, you know, we weren't smart enough to, to jump in and really look into it, but you, you just have to make sure when you are making investments and if it's in the crypto world, people say, oh yeah, I'm holding this, you know, they rhyme off eight or nine of, of these different coins, I guess. Again, I don't, I don't know what it is. Coins, protocols, I, whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah. I, I know I sound very stupid for this, but Hey, it, you know, and I'm trying to be something I'm not, but that's not diversification, you know, professional proper diversification. You're in markets and assets that are different from each other. They're exposed to different factors that can move, you know, the the price of it and, and the outlook and everything. You know, you know, you know, people have lost money here, of course. Uh, you know, Tom Brady is the famous one, I think. You know, he that the numbers are pretty high. Uh did he Kevin control O'Leary. his risk? Kevin O'Leary, yeah, he's he's there as well. And um you know, I, I just hope that people that, that they have lost money on this, um, they did control what their exposure is. Because even in the stock market, right? I mean, you make bad decisions. You know, you're you're going to lose money. And again, if you have you like, for example, did you buy Enron back in the day? And did you buy because of the story? You know, back then it just sounded sounded it was an incredible story, right? It it really was. And uh, it turned out it wasn't an incredible story. You know, it was, it was a fraudulent activity that that was taking place as opposed to you know being in other markets that you know they just fell off a cliff for one reason or the other so i don't know if i add any value with this but the main takeaway is always understand your risk what you're getting into and if you're exposed to fraud then you know that's that's a tough one it's a tough the, the, okay one you're handle. being not, yes and i can't t- disagree with anything so i won't but i will say you're kind of glossing over all the boosters I mean, the people who heard this guy's story about the woke capitalism, giving money away for free and just jumped on that without any kind of, I mean, without any, I mean, it's, I guess it's easy for me to say now because, you know, I, it's, it's all coming out in the wash. I, I get it. I get it. But uh, there was, 
you know, as with a lot of these things, there were some signs and people who were asking questions. For example, Marco Hodes is a guy I follow on Twitter. He's he's been on this for a while. He was, you know, he was insulted. Uh, you know, he was blackballed and, you know, he was told to go away because he, he dared question it. And I, and I think that there's a lot of balls were dropped along the way. So, yeah, there was definitely some fraud, but I think there's some people who have some responsibility perpetuating this fraud. Um, and I think that's just, it's, we, it's, we can't lose sight of that. You know what, Rich, you're that. right. You're, you know what, Rich, <laughs> you are right. I keep saying, hey, keep your elbows up in the corner. You just did it. And I didn't. I stayed out at the blue line. I wouldn't go in there. I agree with Rich, by the way, but the red flags of that guy's outfits, man. Holy, what a slob that guy is. Yeah. Scumbag. Um, ultimately, but you know, it's, it's, but here's the, here's the opportunity though, coming up now. I know we talked last week that, excuse me, you know, that institutional fiduciary money, they will not be touching this base now for a while. Yeah. Like they're they're if you're on any kind of an investment committee, I know it's happening this week and last week. The first question is, what is our exposure to it? That that's the simple question. And everyone's like, well, we have this and this. And then like the, the real smart guys are saying, what is give us the worst number? And for anyone who's listening, if you're ever involved in one of these situations, um, when you know someone is saying, okay, what is the worst case scenario? Give them the worst case number. Don't, don't try to tell them something that you think they want to hear. Because if you tell them, hey, the exposure is, you know, 100, whatever the number you're dealing with, 100 million, for example, and it comes out afterward, no, it's it's 300 million. I mean, you don't do that, right? You, you have to act like an adult. No one's acting like an adult sometimes, but that's happening this week. And once people, they do figure out what their risk is, what the exposure is, I can guarantee you there's going to be a new policy written on the investment guidelines. And they're going to say, it might be written in crayon just to, so it'll stand out, right? We're, we're not buying this. So from my perspective, the opportunity coming up, because you don't have all this money now going to start chasing in, uh, it's going to be a scramble here, guys, You know, for a while in, in that whole space. Um, but I like it because I think we are in that space. There has to be lots of incredible good value. Like it just has to be, the whole thing is not, you know, dog crap or anything. So there, there's going to be a lot of other guys out there. They're going to be fishing around and we're going to find stuff. We are going to buy it. We'll allocate to it. Uh, I still have numbers in my head when all of a sudden we're interested. And um, remember back in, was it Vancouver back in yeah. May? Remember we did that. I, think, I, I was uh, just gonna. I was just gonna say. Was it was the Vancouver event? Was that in May? Yeah, it was. Okay. that was a fun time. That was a lot yeah. of fun. So when we did that podcast, I'll just take you through the, the the chain of events, which is really fascinating. So Vancouver did that event in May. Uh, that was basically like the week that like Terra Luna blew up, which is like yeah. one of the favorite like altcoins in the space. Everyone was pumping that project. And it just blew up spectacularly. So Terra Luna blew up. That led to Contagion, which basically blew up Three Arrows Capital, which was like the crypto hedge fund. Three Arrows Capital uh, then ultimately essentially was what blew up Alameda, which was FTX's hedge fund. So FTX then started draining funds out of... um, out of uh, FTX into Almeida to sort of support their, their to try to recover their funds they lost through through those blowups. 
And um, through all of that, like BlockFi got hit through the Terra Luna, Three Arrows Capital stuff. So FTX actually came in and issued a loan to basically bail out BlockFi. And so like, it just kind of goes to show you, it's like, what's that old analogy? Like a, a butterfly flaps its wings like halfway around the world. Like all of this stuff, like everyone's just like, oh, okay, it's contained to like Three Arrows Capital. Like we're all good. And like, you know, many, many months down the line, it's like, oh no, actually it wasn't contained. They were just sort of, you know, putting a bandaid on their balance sheet. And so we're now starting to see more and more of this contagion. You know, people are saying, well, maybe there's been rumors again, not validated, but there's been rumors that Genesis is under, is in, in trouble. That would be of course the Winkle, Winklevoss twins or whatever are responsible for that one. Um, but you know, Binance was out today saying they're no longer accepting deposits of, of, uh, tether and us dollar coin. Like there's just, there's a lot more, I think that is going to surface, uh, over the next three to four months. So I don't know, take that for what you will. I'm certainly not a crypto expert. I, I stick to, I basically only buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. I keep it simple. I now store it in a cold wallet. Um, I didn't actually lose any money on those exchanges, thankfully, but uh, some some very, very, very close calls. Let's put it that way. What else there she there? was. What but I'm going to roll back at that time when we had the, uh, the, the Q&A. And, yeah. um, you know, someone asked me then, say, hey, you know what, when would you buy this? I think it was at, you know, use of Bitcoin as the proxy. It was at 30,000, I think. I, was it 30? I, I think it was like the, yeah, anyways, it was like mid, mid 20s to 30s, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crypto, right? Five here, five there. What's <laughs> that? What's that between friends? Uh, but anyway, but one of the, one of the QA saying, what is your target? And I, I, I well, it's a lot lower. And finally, I said, you know, I felt bad saying it, but I think it was to over 14,000. And uh, which I know because we're up on a stage, we're looking, I saw a lot of eye rolls and uh, some, snickers i guess but so now we're getting closer to that and people say hey how did you come up with that number and it it ain't hard guys when you have any market it doesn't matter what the market is when, when you're you're flatline and then you have this incredible very sharp exponential growth and then starting to come down chances are you're going to come back down like to a more reasonable level again so we're, so we're getting there and I, I don't know what the number will be in the end uh i'm not touching it yet because it's still so much uncertainty that that's out there, but we're getting closer. And I know there'll be a bunch of guys, you know, buying this up as, as well as we get closer to a, put it this way, when no one else is left to buy, you know, this when other guys are going to come in. Hey, I and think you're that, like 2.3 trillion in capital out there, right? There's always I think your number, I think your right. number was 14,000. So we're getting close. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll come over and, and help the old boomer figure out how to buy it. We'll you up, see we'll now, like, uh, uh, we'll, we'll set up your uh, you'll set up your your wallet and everything and on yeah. your way just give me give me the keys and i'll i'll say i'll i'll save it i'll store it for you <laughs> rich what are you thinking do you have any comments on this whole i know you're i know you're you're long bitcoin i think no i just i don't know i i just think it's it, we when we started this podcast ages ago i said you know um, whenever you have a new industry, it's important to just be cognizant of the, the winner. It's very, very difficult to make money in those early stages. And the example I gave was the automobile industry. And, you know, 1905, there must have been, you know, two dozen manufacturers. The car is still around, but very I few remember. Just, I remember those days. 
<laughs> I mean, the car is still around, but you know, many, many companies that were the initial pioneers of the automobile are, you know, long gone. It's the same with the airline industry. It's the same with the internet industry. Airlines still around, the internet's still around, cars are still around, but the those initial, you know, pioneers of that technology have long since been bankrupt and have been absorbed by new entrants and et cetera, et cetera. And that was the point that I made in one of our earliest podcasts. Uh, I was then absolutely caved in in the comments section. And I think that was when I stopped reading the comments. But you know, I stand by that view, which is to say, I think the, te- the, te- the technology has clearly showed that there's some value there. Now, we haven't quite figured out what that use case is. Um, I would just be very careful of really ever investing in those in those initial companies. Uh, sorry, those those early companies, those early adopters in any new technology, whether it's biomedicine or whether it's the internet or whether it's VR or AI or whatever. You know, in a hundred years from now, we'll probably have very powerful, hopefully not overlordy AI. The the, the companies that really pioneered that technology will, might be gone, and I just and I and I stand sort of stand by what I said, you know, last year. And, and I, and I think it, I think it's an important kind of rem- what we've seen the last few weeks is an important reminder of that. Hey, Keith, I got a question for you. <clears throat> so I'm assuming when this FTX, they go into bankruptcy, they appoint like a new CEO. I'm assuming it's at the, at the direction of the courts. So the new CEO is the guy that was, who oversaw the liquidation of Enron. Is that, is that just like, a, I'm assuming he's appointed by the courts, correct? Uh, usually, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The company doesn't get to, a, if you go in liquidation. <laughs> no, I, was just, I mean, it's just is... ironic that this guy like was basically overseeing Enron at the time. Yeah, I mean, because right? it would have been a, you know, a, a, good, a good experience on, on, on the lad's resume, you know, so to yeah. speak. Um, so, like th- these things are messy, guys. Like, and plus, this is multiple jurisdictions as well. And... Um, Anyway, it's it's so he's be... well he's quoted he's quoted here today saying he says quote I never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information um, and he goes on to say uh, from compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced unsophisticated and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. I um, love the unsophisticated uh, comment. Crazy. Well, so just a couple more names them. on that while we're talking about some of the big boys and the, the apparent, you know, quote unquote, smart money. Uh, so uh, BlackRock was uh, an investor as well in FTX. Um, uh, Galloway, Galloway Capital... Uh, venture partners, of course, the Ontario's Teachers Pension Plan, which we talked about last week, Sequoia Capital, Skybridge Capital, Tiger Global, um, and of course, everyone's favorite, Tom Brady. I think something also kind of, it also sort of brings home a, a point that, which, you know, I've spent most of my career in, in the institutional investing space. And I think institutional investors walk around like they're don't stink and they think they're smarter than everybody and i think what a lot of these kind of frauds and scams and and um, these kinds of things sort of expose and bring light to is 
you know, I think that a lot of these people think they're a lot smarter than they are. And I think it's, um, there's a lot of group think, there's a lot of like herd mentality, sheep mentality, rather than due diligence. There's a lot of, you know, trying not to be the, the, the odd nail that's hanging out. So you don't want to get ha- like smacked back in. I think it's, it's a lot of this um, sort of these biases that we actually are, I remember learning about this in the CFA, God help me. Um, but it, it's just stuff that it's kind of, it's funny and it's, 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 it's rather disappointing, I would say, in a way, because, um, you know, I take pride in being sort of an institutional investor and being in that space and to see these guys just, you know, who are meant to be clever and smart and care about their clients and care about due diligence and et cetera, et cetera, to have them all to a man. No one really asked the right question. I find it, it's a bit disappointing. They're all strutting around in their Patagucci. <laughs> That's right. Speaking of which, if anyone has a connection uh, with Patagonia, some connection, we would love a sponsorship from Patagonia or at least some apparel for the show or for the live event, Patagonia hit us up. I think we should put the FTX thing to bed. I think we've, 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 yeah, I'm over it. We've, we've, I'm over it. We've, we've beat it and beaten it to death. I can't look at that. I can't look at that guy's mug anymore. Yeah. I can't look at his face either. I, I just, or his um, until body. something changes, I think we should we should move on. There's so many more interesting things to talk about, like the the Canadian government raising taxes on beer, which I find outrageous. I mean, that's, yeah, we talked about that. Well, we didn't did talk we, about it on the show, but we were we, DMing we, each we, other there. Yeah, so that's so like the, uh, yeah, they're raising taxes on beer, which is by the way a regressive tax. So people, there's progressive taxation, which is the richer you are, the more taxes you pay. And there's something called regressive taxation, which is in effect the the poorer you are the larger portion of your income slash assets that you pay. This is a regressive tax. So add this to the list of regressive taxes that the Liberal Party is imposing on the on the Canadian population. Also, it's beer, and I love beer, and taxing beer seems like a crime against humanity. Um, what else this is will interesting? Be the, this will be the last time the Lumiar can supply free beverages <laughs> at the event. Right. So enjoy it. Enjoy it while it lasts. The world hit In- 8 billion population. That's another interesting thing that happened. Yeah. Oh no. On the on say it again. Oh, on the global global population. Yeah, eight billion people. That's an interesting thing. I'm trying to th- anything, but pr- let's not talk about FTX anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a good good spot to wrap it up. Um. Yeah. We'll we'll jump into that a little bit more next week. Uh, live event coming up in two weeks. Looking forward to meeting everybody. Obviously, we do have a wait list. Um. If you want to jump on that, feel free. But uh, we haven't really had a, very many people back out as of yet. Uh, but as always, we appreciate your support. Leave us a five-star review, a comment, a thumbs up, or whatever, whatever platform you're on. Share this with a friend or family member. Continuous, you know, help us continue to build the Looney Hour community. I think that's really what makes it so special. Uh, is everybody can kind of you know learn from each other. I mean, we're all we're all here learning, we're just pontificating, uh, trying to bring some value, but uh it's the community that really makes us special. So um, as always, like I said, we appreciate the support and we'll see you next week.